Hey friends, I am so glad that you have joined us for this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Our vision at Help and Hope is to offer the help and hope of Jesus and especially to people who are hurting. And in this podcast, we often share stories of people from their own lips who have or are experiencing a life crisis that's often difficult to talk about and even more difficult for those who love that hurting person to know how to come alongside of them. And so today we're talking about one of those places that is really overlooked, I think, especially often in the Christian community, and it is mental illness. You know, mental illness can take many forms from mild to severe, and people who suffer from mental illness, they often don't wanna talk about it because they feel shame and maybe because of the way others react to them but they just don't realize that they are battling a medical condition and that there is hope and help for them. And so our guest today, Christine Chapel, knows well that journey. She has heard that diagnosis and she has learned that she can live a full, healthy life in the context of mental illness. And her story is going to encourage you so much. And one thing I just really love about Christine, and there's many things, but she is choosing to shine a light of hope on mental illness by sharing her story and by creating resources to encourage others. For instance, she is the author of Help. I've been diagnosed with a mental disorder, and I love these clean home, messy heart. I can relate to that. Promises of renewal, hope, and change for overwhelmed moms. And Here's one you probably don't see a lot. Help, my teen is depressed. I got connected with Christine because I saw her podcast, Hope and Help, on a friend's uh, Facebook page. And I thought, Hope and Help. Well, that sounds familiar. Yes, you are listening to the Help and Hope podcast. But Christine is the host of the Hope and Help podcast. <laughs> and I want to tell you, either one you find, you are going to be encouraged by uh, what you hear. So, Christine, thank you so much for joining us today. And before we jump into your story, tell us a little bit about that Hope and Help podcast. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Sharon, for inviting me to come have this conversation on the show. I am, as you said, the host of the Hope and Help podcast. That is a production of the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. And over on that show, we have biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. And so the goal of that show is to uh, demonstrate and share with our listeners how the gospel gives us hope and help in all of life's challenging situations, whether it be Issues like what we're talking about today, various mental disorder labels or just, you know, marriage, parenting, addictions, abuse. We really are trying to just be a resource for people. So when they know they've got a problem, then hopefully, Lord willing, over the years, we will be able to collect various episodes that speak into that problem. But then also, like your show, Sharon, interview authors, biblical counselors, ministry leaders who have a resource to offer. So I loved when you invited me to the show. You said that this is a 30-minute conversation and we're just doing, you know, kind of like an introduction, you know, have a bite of this discussion, but then take the next step, get that resource and go deeper into God's word with someone who is, you know, trained or has a specialty in that particular area. And so um, we, we definitely, our podcasts are very similar, I think, in a lot of ways. And so um, I'm really thankful to be here. And like you said, no matter whether you type in hope and help or help and hope, 
you're going to land at a good spot, I think. So it's good. <laughs> well, I like to call it salty peanuts. Those who yes. have been around me for a while, a while I, I say when you're speaking, leave them wanting more. Mm-hmm. And in our conversation, we're going to be talking about your most recent book. And I'm hoping that listener, you will just have to have it. You will have to go out and buy it. And you will hear just a little bit that will make you want more, just like when you're eating salty peanuts, or maybe it's potato chips for you. I don't know. But (laughs) Christine, um, the book that we are going to be talking about today, actually, it isn't just this little booklet, but we want to start there. And, And you've titled it, Help, I've Been Diagnosed with a Mental Disorder. And it's a booklet. It's tiny, but it's mighty. And I know that the Lord is going to use this. It might even be a first step for those who hear that diagnosis to say, okay, this is not the end of the world for me. This is not the end. It's packed with hope. So tell us a little bit about your story and why you are so passionate about being transparent about your own story. Absolutely. And and that's, I definitely want to preface the conversation by saying this will be just a few salty peanuts. I cannot be super comprehensive in what we're talking about with the time restrictions. And so, I do hope this is at least um, a good introduction to the book. And so part of my story in a real quick nutshell, because I know we have a lot to talk about, but when I was 18, I went through a few different traumatic events and that was my first time with some loss, a car accident. My senior year in high school was taken away from this car accident. And so I, I lost my opportunity to play varsity basketball for my senior year and just a really lot of loss happened. And that was really kind of the, um, the, the first wave of going into a season of depression. I was diagnosed at that time with all kinds of things, to be honest. I struggled with an eating disorder. I struggled with cutting and self-harm. I struggled with depression, hopelessness, suicidal thinking, panic disorder. I would have awful panic attacks. So it really just threw me for a spin at that time. I was not a believer in Christ. And so I didn't not necessarily, as we'll talk about, that that protects you from some of these experiences, but I, I didn't have any other way of seeing my grief and seeing my trials. And so it was a real hopeless time for me, but by God's grace, I feel like here we are 20 something years later, and I feel like it was part of the equipping process to have a conversation like this. But fast forward 15 years or so, and after another period of, of loss and life change, And plus also through all my whole adult life from 18 to my 30s, still continued to struggle even after I came to know Christ, struggled with highs and lows, with significant self-harm temptations, and just really not seeing a whole lot of change in those particular areas. And at one point, it got so bad that I confessed to my husband what was going on and that I really felt like the Holy Spirit was, you know, nudging me to, I had to do something because if I didn't reach out for help from someone somehow, it was not going to end well for me. And I had already had been thinking about ways to, to end my life um, because of the, the hopelessness and desperation I felt for life to be different than what it was. And so again, I, just long story short, I ended up voluntarily going to a psychiatric hospital for the second time in my life, this time as a Christian. And it was humbling and it was heartbreaking. 
I had really thought that I could use my faith to fix myself. I really thought as a Christian, I should not be struggling with any of these particular things. And that because I was struggling, it was a failure on my part to do enough, right? To do enough to be able to avoid it. And so it really was a place um, of surrender for me going into that mental hospital. And um, at that point, I was diagnosed again with another mental disorder label, and uh, it was bipolar disorder too. And so in the hospital, just to answer that second part of your question, why I want to write a resource like this, I I don't think it, I know it wasn't an accident that in that hospital on the Sunday I was there, there was a, a, a chaplain, there was a little service, right? A little spiritual service. I wouldn't necessarily say it was entirely Christian, but they did read some scripture verses and it was just a very uh, I don't know how else to describe it. The chaplain gave a message. It was a good way. But um, one of the gentlemen there at the end of the chaplain's message, trying to encourage this group of people who had been um, either voluntarily or involuntarily admitted to the mental hospital, he goes up to her and I saw this and it was astounding. He says, can you get me a copy of the Bible, the Book of Mormon, uh, the Quran, and any Jehovah's Witness pamphlets that you have available? And I'm, I'm just staring at, and I'm like, this guy is desperate for hope. He is in the same spot we all are in, hopeless that life is ever going to be any different. And I didn't have any idea of his past, right? But I saw that and I knew in that moment, I'm not seeing this by accident, that people who are struggling with these problems need hope. They want hope. They want to know that what they're going through is not like we talked about before uh, we started recording the be all end all right and in Christ we do have that hope and so the book is just my feeble attempt at trying to comfort others with the comfort that God has comforted me with in the hopes that they will come to Christ's counseling table and see how he interacts and how he views them and then hopefully encourage them to take next steps whatever that next step might be whether it be the next step of beginning a relationship with Christ or it be a next step of, you know, exploring help and, and holistic care in, in other ways. And so that's why I wanted to write it is to help people like that man that I saw who just was desperate for hope and had no idea where to turn to get it. I really resonate with your story. Mark Inc. Ministries is named after our son, Mark. And the reason that we are so passionate about offering help and hope that Jesus gives to us is because there were others ahead of us in the journey who called back and they helped us in our own grief journey. And we knew we wanted to be those people for somebody else. And so that's one of the purposes of the podcast is someone further along in the journey who can call back and say, God is sovereign and you can trust him even in this such a dark place. And so as I was going through your booklet, I loved when you talked about your identity, that your identity is not your mental illness. And you say over-identifying with a diagnostic label can dramatically impact our outlook on life and the way we represent ourselves to the world. Even something as simple as how we speak about it to others can offer a clue about its influence on our perceptions. And this is the part that just got to me. Even with clear-cut medical problems, we don't say, I am diabetes or I am cancer. Why would we say, I am bipolar or I am ADHD or I am borderline, as though that is the sum of our total personhood? The temptation is for the diagnosis to be the sun around which all the rest of life orbits, 
but people are far more complex than a diagnosis can capture. I'm not suggesting the problems you're dealing with don't feel all-consuming at times, but I am suggesting that your label plus your symptoms do not equal who you are. I think that that's worth the price of the book right there. But talk to us about how understanding our identity in the context of a mental illness diagnosis can bring hope and help. Yeah, and I do want to point out too that there was a part in that you read that I actually was a quote from Michael Emlett, Dr. Michael Emlett, who wrote a fantastic book called Descriptions and Prescriptions. And I, I reference it in the back of the book, but that was so much at the forefront of when I was in the mental hospital, what I had to wrestle with, because that is the temptation is to, is to now I've been given this label and now I'm going to view myself as this different person. And you know what, when people find out I've been diagnosed, they're going to view me as this type of person too. And, and so there was that real struggle for me, you know, is this who I am? Am I bipolar? Is this now the lens through which I will view all of life and all of my problems and all of my weaknesses and limitations, even my future? Am I going to view my future for um, or through the lens of bipolar? And now it's going to kind of bleed and influence the way that I even represent myself in the world. And so, you know, but the Holy Spirit definitely comforted me. And I even, one of my first times writing about this hospitalization was an article I wrote for Desiring God called My Name is Beloved, Finding Identity in Mental Illness. And that was the name, you know, was Beloved that the Holy Spirit administered to me. And just that reminder that in Romans 8, 16 through 17, the scripture says that, you know, our truest and highest identity is that we are children of God in Christ through what he has done on the cross and bringing us into God's family. That scripture says, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. And that doesn't change when you receive a diagnosis like a mental disorder label or any other kind of label. It's a foundational truth that roots us and helps us to, it's stabilized me. You know, in, the, in those moments of temptation to redefine myself, it stabilized me to look to Christ, to look to the scriptures and say, no, God doesn't see me this way. I'm struggling with some problems. Yes. This is really hard. Yes. Is this going to influence my life in the near future and possibly beyond? Yes. But it doesn't change who I am. It doesn't change me as a beloved child of God. And I love the book also by Mike Emlett, Sinners, Saints. No, wait, I always do that. Saints, Sufferers, and Sinners. And he reminds us that first and foremost, when we're going through any kind of trial, we are saints going through trials, right? If we are in Christ, I have that hope that even when I get some kind of a diagnosis like a mental disorder, I receive that already as a saint, right? Like I'm already accepted. There's nothing more or new additional I need to do to know that the Father loves me that I am robed in Christ's righteousness, and that there is hope for me. And so as disorienting as it was, that was the premier promise, right? I think mm -hmm. we have two super amazing promises the gospel gives us. And the one is that God's presence, he is with us. No matter what we're going through, he is with us. He draws near when we're brokenhearted. He saves the Christian spirit. But then this other one is this premier promise of we are a new creation. We have been brought into God's family. And those are concrete truths. God is with me and I am his. 
And those do not change when we are diagnosed. And so the book really tries to get people to to encourage them with that perspective, right? That's the whole point of what I'm trying to offer here is let's get our perspective to align with God's perspective on who we are because a diagnosis may describe symptoms. It can be used to describe symptoms, but it doesn't define our identity and it certainly cannot and does not dictate our destiny. When we are in Christ, we know we are destined for glory and how that works out and how that journey goes, you know, for each of us is going to look different, but ultimately it's the same, right? Ultimately, we have that hope of glory, just like Romans says, that we are heirs of God's glory. And so that's, that's what I'm trying to get at in the book. I think that's a perfect lead-in to my next question, because you, you didn't really use the word theology, but you're talking theology. And your relationship to the Lord and His character, His presence. and and that that plays out in our practical living, our practical lives. And one specific way I know uh, for myself, when I was dealing with grief, it was how can I get better? What can I do to fix this? Give me the practical steps. And you know, those who are ahead of me in this journey, they didn't have any answers for that. They could say, "This is what helped me, but this isn't going to fix you." And so I think one of our tendencies, when we whether it's mental illness or any kind of loss, it's how can I fix this? Um, and you talk about that in your book and how there was great freedom when you found an answer to that question. Can you tell us about that? Yes. I, you know, when I was in the mental hospital, I like to say that I brought some friends with me and they weren't people friends, they were book friends. And so I was able to bring mm. some books and receive so much encouragement through just the ministry of writing, really for the communication and form of writing and One of the things that really ministered to me was Elise Fitzpatrick. She had a quote, I think it's in her book, Good News for Weary Women, where she's talking about that kind of fix-it mentality or that desire to be better. And she pointed out this point in John 6, 28, where Jesus is being asked by the people, the crowd, I don't remember if it's the Pharisees or just the people around him, but He's asked, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And in that moment, I think when we are just labeled with a a mental disorder diagnosis and we feel like I've got to get over this, you know, and we live in America, we're very, you know, self-sufficient, you know, get your willpower, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, don't be weak, you can overcome, you know, and, and not to say that those aren't maybe helpful sometimes, but I can tell you that for the person who is feeling disoriented by what their their experience is, they have doubts, they're questioning what's going on in their body, in their mind, how does the gospel intersect with this? The temptation is really, what can I do? What are the five steps that I can do so I don't experience depression anymore? The problem, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but the problem with that mindset is that it puts the attention all the way back on us. What do I have in my resources, my wisdom, my knowledge to be able to get a hold, get a grip, and turn my life around? And so that hospitalization was really the turning point where I had to ask that question myself. What must I do in this place to do the work that God requires? Because I can't. I've tried to fix myself. I've tried to stop sinking to lows or, or the other symptoms I was experiencing and tried to fix it, and I can't. I just can't. It was like a white flag of surrender. 
And so to hear Jesus's words that the work of God in that moment is to believe in him was transformative for me. And I know that when we talk about this topic, for someone to say, oh, just believe, I'm not using this as a trite, simplistic encouragement. I say in the book, and I talk about the fact that it it helps to bring it down to the moment. What can I do in this moment that's within my power to do? When I'm feeling in despair or I'm feeling scared about the future and what it holds for me, it shrinks my view from a long view of, oh boy, am I ever going to be done with this, right? Which can be, that's too much. That's too much thinking to do. (laughs) But just what in this moment? And I think of the application for what Jesus says for those who have been diagnosed with a mental disorder is, you know, that's the goal. Like when we're feeling that desperation, God wants us to believe he is our deliverer. And when we are scared, he wants us to believe that we can put our trust in him. When we're sad, he wants us to believe that he's soon going to set things right. When we've fallen into sin, he wants us to believe that repentance is a gift and a grace. When we feel alone, he wants us to believe that he is there and he's with us always. And so the whole theme of this book, again, is trying to create that, well, you use the theology, but, um, and it's true, but just trying to remind and encourage people, let's get this perspective in line with the gospel. What's going on? This is something happening to you in the context of suffering and sin. The Bible talks all about that. So let's go to, the, to God's word and get our comfort and our counsel and then move our eyes off of our problems and onto our Savior who is able to sustain us, to transform us, and to grow us through them. That's beautiful. And and I can attest to what Christine is saying. That is exactly right. I mean, in my own grief journey, that's where I would have to end up is, Lord, who are you? And what do you want me to believe about you? Because none of the rest of it makes any sense. And so I love how you say, pull it down into that moment, go to that moment and make a choice to rest in him. And you also are talking about how we you know, we make it all about ourselves and pulling us up by our own bootstraps. But for the Christian, there's something really supernatural and kind of strange that uh, God promises to do. And it's in Isaiah 61, three is one place where he says that he intends to work in the hearts of his children in order to make them oats of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And, and I love that verse because it's saying God is going to do the work. He is the one that is going to uh, make us like oaks of righteousness. In this verse, there's comfort here that I think is very freeing. Tell us how that thought made a change in your life. Well, there's a theme, another theme in this book, and I pull it in through a few different ways. But like you said, just that idea of being a tree, or a plant, or a branch. And so going to that garden illustration, which the scriptures in the the Old Testament and in the New Testament, Jesus talks about, and we dive into that a little bit in the book as well. You know, again, just trying to get that godly perspective, that God word perspective. And in Isaiah 61, what I love about that reminder that we're a planting of the Lord, there are so many, I think, different encouragements that we can get from that. But I think first and foremost is that in the context of that whole chapter, God is talking about, through the prophet Isaiah, of what he's going to do, what his Messiah is going to do for the people of Israel. And you know, 500 years later, Jesus quotes in the temple that he is the fulfillment of this prophecy, that he stands and he says in front of the people, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has appointed me 
to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the prison of those who are bound. And so again, even in this precious reminder that God is going to be growing us through this to make us into a mighty oak tree, we see in the larger context of Isaiah 61 that we're talking about Jesus. Look to Jesus who is going to be doing this work, that he is going to, and the scriptures encourage us with this, that through your trials and through the hardships, through your illnesses, through your sin struggles, everything is being folded into God's redemptive purpose for your life. And so I just love how Isaiah 61 encourages us. And ultimately, we find the fulfillment of that in Christ and the encouragement to fix our eyes on something other than our problems, but on Christ who is going to help us. And it seems kind of like a paradox, right? Like, oh, if you have a problem, well, don't look at it. But that's not what I'm saying in the book either. You know, we want to be wise and and address issues wisely. But the comfort and the hope is, is that first we go to Christ and then he informs us and guides us as to how he wants us to navigate these things instead of the other way around of trying to navigate everything ourselves and then going to him when we give up. Or going to him when we say, you know, well, I can't figure this out. So, Lord, what do you say? You know? And so I think also, too, just the reminder of Oaks of Righteousness is that growth is promised, even though it is probably going to look for you, as it did for me, slow and organic. You know, if you've been planted, if you're a planting of the Lord, which what he, he calls us even before Isaiah 61, he re- reiterates that point. But we didn't plant ourselves, and we're not even giving ourselves the nutrients that we need to grow right? It's our, what is our work? We believe and we respond to the gospel and we draw upon the nutrients that God gives us, but the growth is ultimately in his hands. And I love Milton Vincent spoke for IBCD summer conference. And he said, in God's sight, the perfect Christian is the progressing Christian. And I thought that was so encouraging because I think when we over-identify with the mental disorder label that we've been given, we may fear that there's no hope for us to grow through this. There's no way that we could ever experience life different. But I think the gospel gives us the hope that, yes, yes, you can, but it's going to look different than what you expect. It's going to be a process that's different than what you expect. And we have to go through Christ first, stop at his feet first, and then um, as he comforts us and counsels us, take those next steps. And there also we find a purpose for living too, right? I mean, what is the chief end of man is to, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, as we grow in our faith, even through this process, we glorify God, right? In the growth that, that he helps to bring about. And that is our purpose in life. And for me, when I realized, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, but to, to know that the purpose in life isn't to overcome the disorder that I've been labeled with. That's not my purpose in life. That's not my purpose in life to overcome all of my problems. My purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so what does that look like in the context of a mental disorder is what I try to communicate in the mini book. And really, you kind of answered this question already, but you say, and these are my words, I'm summarizing them for you, that hearing that your ultimate goal should not be to get better, but to desire to glorify God more than you want to breathe brings a freedom into your daily life. And so you have talked about that, but talk a little bit more about what it means to glorify God. Yeah, well, I think the scriptures tell us that there are different ways that we can glorify God. And and Jesus even tells us that through our obedience, we glorify God. That's 
that's certainly one way. But I think another way, too, is something that I dive into in one of the chapters of the book. And I think it's a it's a facet, right? So I'm not saying this is the only way we glorify God or this is the exclusive way, but what I try to help people to who have been diagnosed with a mental order understand is that God can be glorified through healing. God, of course, when we credit him with that, right, then we're giving him glory, right? God can glor- be glorified through healing and deliverance and helping us to overcome to the point where problems such as these are part of our past. I mean, that's my my story and what he has done in my life. But there is also a glory God gets when he sustains us in our suffering, when he sustains us through the really hard work of growth, spiritual maturity, even through the problems that may be have some physical components and problems that, you know, certainly have spiritual components. And so what I want the reader to know is that one of the ways that they can make the decision to glorify God today, above and beyond to the, the work of I'm looking to Jesus and I'm believing what he says about who he is to me and who I am to him, right? Because that's like the first and foremost thing that we need, to, we need to start there and be drenched and soaked in the love of Christ to the point where now we desire to want to glorify God, not because of a duty, but because well, what else can I do about my situation today? I can't fix myself, but I can choose to glorify God in this moment. And so one of the ways that we could talk about in the mini book is just by developing a reflex that I call in the book, engaging God. And I'm sure that's a term that some people have heard before, but what I tried to teach through Jesus's illustration of the branch and the vine, and that he talks about, and then I think John 15, about how we can abide in him. Right, that those who abide in him um, will bear much fruit. That's a promise. It's not possible for a medical label to squash God's promises, right? And not it will look different in how it um, manifests itself in everyone's life. But we're being changed by degrees, changed by God's grace and through abiding in Christ by degrees. And so the reflex of engaging God is something that I want people to be encouraged that they can learn how to do right? That when we have problematic thoughts or emotions, that we can turn to God with them. And that glorifies him, right? Because when we turn to God with our problems, we say, Lord, I don't know what this is. What's going on with me? Why do I feel this way? Why is this so overwhelming? When we come to Christ, who you know the scriptures call our wonderful counselor, right? Then we're, we're glorifying him because we're obeying his instructions to come to him, Isaiah 55, 3 says, with our ears wide open and to listen to him so that we will find life. That's an act of obedience, just coming to Christ with our problems. I want people to to realize that because it's something that is within your power to do, even when you feel like you don't have any idea what the next step is. (laughs) I know. I mean, when you feel like, I don't know where to go from here, but that's all right. You don't need to know in this moment where to go from here. You can know that you can go to God, right? And turn to his word and to come and listen to him. And so that I think is one point that I'm trying to get across that by God's grace, you can progress in spiritual maturity as you practice engaging him in your daily experiences and the different symptoms that you are wrestling with. Christine, I I just wish we could keep on talking for hours and hours. You have such a confidence in what God has done, what he is going to do, and it is so encouraging. And I would like for you to take 
a couple of minutes to speak one-on-one to that person who is listening, who maybe they had the diagnosis or they're scared of a diagnosis. And, you know, one thing that you'll see in Christine's book is that in Christian circles, sometimes we think that medication is a bad thing, that it's a mark of weakness and so on. And so maybe just speak to that a little bit too, as we wrap up. If I'm talking to the person specifically who has recently or just at any point in their life been diagnosed with a mental disorder, I think I would want to offer a comfort and then a piece of counsel. Like if this is the only thing that you take away, this would probably be my two two big points. My comfort is what I said at the very beginning, that this diagnosis does not define who you are. It does not define or dictate what your future ultimately is going to look like. Healing is possible. These labels are not perfect. (laughs) The way that they're diagnosed, the way that they're given out, this is not a perfect process. It's constantly evolving. But the thing that doesn't change and does not evolve when you are in Christ is your identity in him. It's concrete. Christ died to secure it. There's nothing that can be done to undo it. And so just getting grounded in, you know, that reality, I think is super important. It's a comfort because it says it's done, right? Christ said it is finished. Everything that was necessary for the Father to look at you with eyes of love and mercy and compassion and to reach out to you and say, come to me if you are weary and burdened. I will give you the rest that you need in this moment when everything feels so overwhelming and you don't know what to do and you're afraid that you're always going to be like this. Come to me and rest. I have got you. I'm not letting go. This is not too hard for me. You're not you're not too much trouble. And I've talked to people who have said, you know, I think God's sick. This is sick of how needy I am and sick of I always mess up. And and I say, that's not possible. (laughs) He loves to help you. If you come to him on your knees every single day for the rest of your life with the different problems you're facing, I don't know that anything would make him more happy. (laughs) I'm not sure about that theology, but I think it's true. Right, he he yearns for that relationship and that intimacy, and and for us to turn to him as a refuge. But I think also the the piece of counsel that I would give is what we have talked about is is guarding against that fix it mindset, and because we can make an idol out of relief, we can make an idol out of healing to the point where we're so focused on symptom relief that nothing else that that if we don't get it, life's not worth living. Right? I'm so focused on overcoming these problems that if it doesn't happen, I'm going to be in despair. I'm going to be, I'm, I feel hopeless. And I've been there, right? And that's why I, I opened up with, look, that's where I was. God had to get me to that point where I realized I had been worshiping healing more than the healer and that my focus was so turned inward on what I could do, even through applying scriptures and trying to use the scriptures to clean myself, right? But Christ says, already by the word I have spoken to you, I've made you clean. You know, and just like the the comfort that he gives us is unreal. I know you could see I'm getting all worked up about it. But but the fix-it mindset will lead you to further despair and hopelessness because it is pulling you down to your own resources. And it's not that we don't in wisdom try to make wise adjustments and accommodations for what we're going through and seeking counsel and seeking holistic care and And sometimes for some of us, that will look like bodily care. Um, And for others, it will look like getting connected with a biblical counselor, a wise Christian mentor who can walk us through the things we're going through. But if we fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, right, who for the joy set before him, he 
endured the cross. And the joy set before him was us, right? Bringing us into his family so that we could know that we have a seat at his table, that we're welcomed and accepted. These are just incredible realities, wonderful truths that can help us to combat the terrible facts of what it is that we're walking through and the hopelessness that we feel. And in Christ, he gifts us that perspective. And so the biggest prayer we might take away today is, Lord, give me that perspective. Lord, make that perspective my own. I want my perspective on this situation to align with you because I know that through your word and through the perspective you offer, there's hope and there's freedom and there's a promise of progress. And so that's what I would say in a nutshell to someone. Thank you so much, Christine. Uh, I know that there are listeners who might have some tears running down their cheeks right now because they are so desperately looking for hope. And you have definitely outlined that hope for us today. And I'm Sharon Betters, and you have been listening to a conversation with Christine Chapel, and she is the author of Help. I've been diagnosed with a mental disorder, and we are going to have the links on the website for that book and for where she blogs at christinemchapel.com, but, uh, but that will also be in the program notes. And I am just so grateful, Christine, for the wisdom that you've shared today. I know it comes through the grid of suffering and sometimes that's the best. That's the best wisdom. You are a credible witness to God's grace. This is the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. You can learn more about Mark Inc. by going to markinc.org. That's markinc.org. And there you're going to find many, many free resources that help turn your heart toward Jesus. And in particular, the Help and Hope podcast. You can subscribe so that you don't miss one new story that we share that will help turn your heart toward Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhopenow.org. Download the Help and Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.